Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Angie, an estimate rocket. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series titled A Painter's Dream, Jason Paris will be discussing what makes the painting industry so attractive to ambitious entrepreneurs and how painting company owners can capitalize on current and future opportunities. It is a four-part series. In episode one, Jason discussed macroeconomic trends and how the ebbs and flows of the economy should affect decision-making and planning within your painting company. In episode two, Jason dove into the influx of young talent into the industry and what that means for all painting company owners. In episode three, Jason outlined what you need to do in order to make your painting company sellable, allowing you the option for a lucrative exit. And in the final episode, episode four, This episode, Jason will elaborate on his philosophies of business and how they apply to you and your painting company. If you want to ask Jason questions related to anything in this podcast series, you can do so on our exclusive Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast Forum on Facebook. Just search for Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast Forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. Again, that URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash painter marketing mastermind there you can ask jason questions directly by tagging him with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular company jason is the chair of the board of directors of the pca and founder of paris painting the most successful painting company that painter marketing pros has worked with to date jason welcome to episode four thanks for conducting this man we made it we're finally here i am terrified I uh, I do not know what you're gonna do. Well, I know I know a little bit because you outlined you outlined it five minutes for me. Uh, but yeah. I've been worried about this one for about six weeks. Yep, yep. So this is one that we laid out. We said we're gonna do a, a four part series, and one, two, and three made a lot of sense. And then you know this seemed like the fun one for me to just throw out there. Just spit uh, And now here we are, and we have to deliver. So here we yep. go. Uh, yep. But we're gonna talk about you know, business, basically business philosophies and. And uh, like you said, how they apply to your business. And there's, you know, this is like an infinite well of conversational topics. And so um, spend a little bit of time thinking about what are some of the, the foundational things for how we run our company, how we run the companies here um, at all foldings, obviously the company in Paris painting, and then our other, other businesses as well. And this is something that people who followed me uh, around the internet land have heard me say plenty of times, but the philosophy is the blue ocean concept, Right. It's kind of this idea of there's a lot of, uh, you call it growth mindset, um, but there's a lot of opportunity out there, right? It's like a blue ocean of opportunity, right? It's not this fixed mindset or um, you know, that there's that you're like limited in what you can achieve. And the way that that's kind of strung out uh, through words has been your only competition is your ability to execute your business model. Now that is super, super true in residential repaint, Uh but for whatever reason, maybe, and I think it's changed quite a bit, but five years ago, that was very, very antithetical to how most people's uh, paradigm was. <laughs> most people viewed, you know, my ability to succeed is determined by who's in my market and who I'm competing with and how well they do and uh, all these weird little things, um, which just doesn't play out in residential repaint. I keep saying residential repaint because I'm not a commercial painter. I'm not an industrial painter. I've always laid out the example of, well, I'll just say, oh, this is a premise. I like to win. Uh, 
And so in, in residential repaint, I think cooperation is the best way to win. Uh, if I were painting, you know, just water towers in the state of Minnesota, uh, I'd be slashing people's tires, right? I would not be cooperating. <laughs> I'd be competing competitively uh, in a, in a zero sum game, right? This would not be a blue ocean. That would not be a blue ocean, but we do operate in a blue ocean, physically residential repaint. So that's the first philosophy of business is your only competition is your ability to execute your business model. It truly is a numbers game. So if you, if you're painting water towers, because you probably have to have relationships or contracts with municipalities, things like that, that's a zero sum game, uh, residential repaint, your, your point is essentially that there's enough work to go around. So it's really working together. You can actually get not limited. Work. Yeah. You're not limited by the market cap and water towers. And this is just a philosophical, like a hypothetical. So I don't know, maybe there are way too many water towers. I don't know. I don't think uh, but conceptually I'd say like the water tower thought experiment, you're limited by the market cap, right? There's only yeah. so many water towers, you know, let's say you can only get a third of them. Let's say there's three really competitive people, you know, that's going to dictate what your business looks like and residential repaint. I am not limited by market cap, right? I'm not limited by the revenue of jobs out there and the percent of those jobs I think I can get. I'm limited by how well our business functions, how well we execute the model that the business is laid out as. How, how, and so there's a couple of different layers to that. You know, what's your ability to execute? So how, how focused and disciplined and skilled are the people that are operating that system? But then another component is what is that architecture? What is that business model and how easily can it be executed on? Right. This is where you start to see trade-offs of different um, desires or business types or preferences, right? And so you have, um, you can have like an, an ultra craftsmanship oriented painting company, um, which just doesn't, it's, it's harder to scale quickly for sure. So no one argues, it's harder to scale quickly than a, like a value-based uh, painting company, right? And so you kind of have your different spheres of painting um, philosophies for lack of a better term. You'd have like the craftsmanship oriented uh cheap, you know, price focused painter, and then that value, that value focused painter. Um, and what, which, which niche you decide to kind of brand yourself with will oftentimes dictate the architecture of the company. And some architectures are easily easier to execute at scale than others. Yeah. So the basically three different tiers, the, the craftsmanship, the very high end, very meticulous attention to detail, kind of probably a, a much more labor intensive project and realistically a, a lower market cap because only so many I people. Think, are- yeah. Lower market cap. So maybe depending on what market you're in. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, lower, lower pool to pull from for people that want to want to buy that service and then uh, a more challenging labor market and who can perform those services. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Yep. Super good point. People have a hard enough time finding painters who can do the value-based painting approach. The low price one, you know, it can also be a hard, hard one to architect at scale as well, because there's not enough margin uh, in that business model to afford the infrastructure as you try to grow and try and scale. Right. So a lot of times that will survive off of the martyrdom of the founder or the sole proprietor. Um, And that, that, that's not something that scales beyond a single individual typically. Um, but a value-based, you know, company, uh, you know, you have a much larger labor pool to pull from, and there are like little, um, not like hacks, but tricks on how to, you know, utilize your labor efficiently, depending on their competencies, competencies and skill sets, and pairing those with the right projects and and, and homeowners. Then you also have a pretty wide pool of services or people are willing to purchase that service as well. You're not niched down to people who are just looking for a great deal, but are willing to put up with a lot of like weird stuff. Uh, you're not ditched down into, you know, ultra, ultra high end, you know, price is no issue, but you know, I want to see that this person has painted for at least 20 years and tell me exactly what kind of brush is going to be, you know, on the job site. Um, both of those are, are harder to, to operate at scale. So your only competition is your ability to execute your business model right? So how well can you or your team execute? That's a competency. That's a skill. That's a limiting factor for running a residential repaint company, but then also your model, the model that you've architected and that you dictate those executions through is going to limit or or dictate or determine um, the success or scale of your company. Yeah. So my, my guess is I know the answer to this question. It's, I think it's probably blue ocean, but it, it, you may segment it further. How would you 
look at the commercial market. So I'm, I'm not a domain expert in that. So I, I'll tell you like my outside perspective, um, it's probably a hybrid in the middle, right? So a lot of commercial outfits, they'll go cross country. Um, but it, there's a continuum there, right? Because I also know, you know, the big commercial painting contractors, they'll bump into each other, even out of state, yep. you know, a handful of times. And, uh, there's only so many stadiums being built, depending on what you're niching down in, uh, or maybe you're just, a what do they call it? Uh, like a white box outfit where you like come in and, and there's a commercial repaint, you turn it into a white box. Um, but yeah, I'm certainly not your domain expert on that. I, my, my intuition tells me that, you know, specialized industrial is if I want to win and I'm a competitive person, I'm uh, competing in like a zero sum game. Like your loss is my gain. Yep. If I'm in commercial, that's probably like halvesies. <laughs> and I'll just say in residential, it's like your, your win is my gain. Uh, your loss ends up typically being my loss because the whole overall tide goes down. It's much more about cooperation, residential repaint, right? It's highly fragmented, low barrier to entry. You know, you're not going to be limited by your percentage of market cap in, in this game. At least in, I live in the Twin Cities area. Uh, so we're like not a coastal city. Uh, we're also not like, a you know, Chicago for, for Midwest, uh, but we're a pretty, you know, we're an, we're a pretty good metropolitan area. So, um, you know, yeah. factor that into how, how I, how I philosophize about the business too. Yeah. I kind of, I would love for you to run us through the math example that you do with like a sure. Holmes paint store. So this is something I did, um, a while ago. I'm trying to think of when I, where I did it first. Um, I might've done it on just a social media website for fun. But when we started the gathering in Minnesota painters, this was the first thing I did when I got everybody into the room. So I got out a flip chart and I said, Hey, you know, we're going to do this thing called cooperation. Uh, you know, most of the time when any of you or I walk into a paint store, um, people are really weird. <laughs> Painting contractors are really weird people. And, uh, it gets very competitive and standoffish and like, oh, maybe like I won't tell you this or I don't know, just just bizarre, bizarre stuff for someone who isn't used to that uh, modus operandi, right? You come in, you're like, oh, this feels a little, little odd, a little weird. So first thing I did, get the flip chart out and say basic math, right? Here's the premise. None of us are limited by our percentage of market cap because the market cap is so huge. And long before we run into issues of, you know, having large percentages that we have to divvy up between us. We're gonna run into issues of hitting the the cap of our ability to scale a business model, right? And so, what's the basic math on that? You say, you know, how many Sherwin stores are you willing to drive to, right, for geography area, right? Because there's a lot of Sherwin stores in the state, in the Midwest, in the country, but you know, we're only willing to service an area that drives, you know, within around there's like 20 stores that fit the geographic area that we're willing to drive through. And you say, how much paint and sundries do they sell? Uh, that are relevant to the services that I offer. So I don't do uh, like concrete coatings. Uh, we don't do crazy industrial stuff. You know, there's like there's like five, maybe six, seven products that fall within the residential bread and butter things that we do. So I look for the revenue of that. I don't know if it's an average size store. Like let's say you're in the top. If, if, it's like, if it's like a quarter deviation from the average store, you know, then do the math and bring that down to the median, multiply it by the total stores. If you start with a normal size store first, it's a lot easier because you just multiply that by 20 because it is an average size store. Then you ask Sherwin and they know and they would know this. They'd say, you'd say, what what percent market cap in this geographical area do you have of that of those of those products and sundries? All right. And they don't they know that answer and they tell you. All right. So then you take that revenue. So you have the median, the median store, products that they sell, multiply geographical area, number of stores that you're willing to service, then divide that by the percentage of market cap that they hold to get the total market cap. Right. So there's typically like an Ace Hardware, box stores, maybe a local distributor, right? And those are things that Sherwin would be competing against. And then let's just say for the sake of math, they say like, oh, we have, you know, we have 50% of the market cap in that. So multiply it by two. Look at the, like an average industry benchmark for materials. And now if you, if, if you have trouble with this exercise, you probably aren't job costing and don't know your percentages. So just use 15%. On average, painting companies will send 15% on paint and sundries. Average Average, average. Okay. Don't, don't send me mean emails. Uh, that's an average. So you divide that revenue by that 0.15%. And that gives you the total revenue that that paint and sundries rec uh, uh, is, is relevant to. 
right? So now you've all the total market in your geographical area. It's a big number, right? You start doing the math and you're like, oh, if everybody in here became, you know, a $10 million company, uh, we'd be okay, right? Yeah. Now, not everybody is, uh, maybe one person is. And okay, now now you at least have a grounding, a perspective of, of what reality is. And that's just, that's like a healthy exercise to do in life. Um, get grounded in the facts, get grounded in the numbers to make sure you have an appropriate perspective. I can give you two more examples of this. Uh, I have a leaky like bathtub, like my bathtub, like after the kids take a shower, it, it kind of like leaks or like, or after they give them a bath, it's like dripping. And I'm like stressed out. I'm like, oh man, this is like a little stressful. Like how much am I spending in my utility bill? Uh, like, should I come up, call a plumber out here and tighten it up? I'm like, it's probably like a $200 trip charge. Should I do this or not? Emotionally, I'm stressed out, but then I start doing the facts, right? So I sit there for a minute and I count the number of drips. Is this a real go, story? This is a real story. This, this is, is real? I, I might, yeah, my, I, so I count this the number is what, of drips. This is what you stress out about? So I usually get stressed out okay. and then I start, and then I go to the facts and I say, well, what are the facts, okay. right? So I count the number of drips in a minute and I go, well, how many drips are in a gallon and what's my cost per gallon? And I end up doing the math and it's like, okay, this is costing me $2. No, it's costing me five cents a week. I'm spending five cents a week with this drippy thing. I'm no longer stressed out. All the stress goes away. Yeah. Goes away. And then I start doing the math of like, well, how much is that per year? And I'm like, well, if I did get a trip charge out here of $200, what's the cost of that capital over the year? I'm like, oh, I'm actually saving money by not having a plumber come out here because I can put that $200 to work in the market or not investment and make more money than I am losing in this drippy, drippy thing. Now we'll probably get it fixed because it's kind of annoying, but that's just an example of how you take stress go through the facts, go through numbers, make it less stressful. The second thing is, uh, this was years ago. I felt like we were spending a lot of money on food. So then you go to the US FDA or whatever it is, and you see what is the average? It's, they have like a, uh, a budget, normal, and like high spending family budgets. You say, okay, we're actually spending within the normal range based off the data of the US census. Since then we moved next to Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. So now there is no budget. Uh, but that was an example in the past where I got stressed out about how much money we're spending on food seemingly, right? You see like, oh, for this, this avocado, we didn't even eat it. It's brown. I, I can only imagine how much money we're spending, right? And then you go yeah. through the facts, how much money are we actually spending? What's the national average? It gives you a benchmark to go against. So yeah, facts, facts over feelings. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's philosophy one. We can dig more into it if you want, or I can go to number two. Yeah. No, I just, I have, I have one follow up there. So <clears throat> I, you, I use this, that example. Right. I heard it first at the Nick Slavic's Ask a Painter Live went to retreat that we were on. Your... Just to be clear, he got it from me. Okay. If he said it. No, I always I cite him everything I he knows. I always cite you. Yeah. No, I, I should cite, cite me. I, I basically own half of his company if you think about it for how much it yes. helped him. Yeah, you do. Yeah. No, I, I got a draft on that authority whatever way I can. Right. right. So no, I cite you the Sherwin Williams example um, because I actually was, was on a call and I'm going to leave leave all the specifics out of this conversation, but I was on a call yesterday with a company that, that said they're, they're a little under a million in revenue. They serve a, an area, metropolitan area that is over a million in population. Um, that's 800,000 where, where the actual metro area and then surrounding areas. And they're again, under a little under a million in residential repaints per year. And they told me that they think that they need to either expand their geography further which again, they're already they're already over a million people. It's, I think it's about 1.4 in their service area, uh, or they need to go downstream more, and not right. and they're not that top craftsmanship that you were saying. They're the value based approach. Um, mm-hmm. And I ran them through this example. I actually looked up St. Paul, Minneapolis. It looks like you guys are around the same market cap in general uh, mm-hmm. as this, and the fact that you guys are on track to 11, 12, some some sort of pretty high number in 2022 and that they're probably not capped out. Oh, they said they serve the top 10% of the market. So there is that. That's right? what everybody that, says. Yeah, yeah it, right. And and so the reality is it's probably a little bit more than that. But I said, if you guys are at 11 or 12 million with a similar population, my bet is that they can probably bump up without having to, to go statewide or something or go you know downstream and, and start competing more on, on price. And that's where I think a lot of painting companies, they they do, they think they've tapped it out or, or whatever, but they're not actually sitting down doing the math. Yeah, I think it's really easy to visualize if you even just hone it into one store. And you're like, man, I'm, uh, you know, if you're a million bucks, let's say, oh, I'm, I'm paying, I'm paying $150,000 of paint and sundries. You know, yeah. I'm like, I need to, I need to go to a new geography, right? 
And uh, it's like, well, that store is selling about $2 million of uh, stuff, of revenue. And let's say half of that is relevant to the services that you provide. That's so like a million dollars. You're like, well, easy math. You're 15% of the revenue of that store, of that, that, that's, that's that one way. store. Yeah. And so like, then it's like, oh, so that means that there's 85% that they're selling that are relevant to what I provide that I'm not doing. In that store. In one store, right? And I, and I like to drive around and that's, let's say it's an average store. I don't know what their, their area is, but um, say it's an average store and they like to service 10 stores, right? And so suddenly you're like, oh, okay. So I don't know, I, I, hopefully it starts to click with people. Maybe like you need a visual or something like that. But yeah. um, it, it, it was very odd as I got into running my own painting company and went to Sherwin stores, how standoffish painting business owners were, uh, it was just weird. I was like, huh, this is weird. I mean, it would make more sense in like different market conditions, but for this market, it's truly bizarre behavior, which I think is ultimately rooted in insecurity uh, and maybe just anger. Most being, There's a lot of anger in the painting industry, but I think it's ultimately all rooted in insecurity. Yeah. Awesome. So what, what are we calling philosophy one there? Okay. Uh, blue ocean. Blue philosophy one is blue ocean. Okay. What is a lot of things? Yeah. 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 You call a lot of things. Blue ocean growth mindset. Um, Cooperation. Cooperation. What is philosophy two? So two would be the long game, long game versus short game. This is a philosophy how you run your business. And then um, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, the only reason I'm playing the long game. So I plan on doing this for a long time. Right. That's the only reason it's a good strategy. Otherwise, I feel like I anytime understand. things aren't going well in my life, I just, I say, well, I'm playing the long game, but I as think long the long game is it. longer than most people realize. Like we're, we're so, we want instant gratification. The long game is, is like a year's long game. It's not, not three, six months. Yeah. If you're interested in doing it for a long time, right. If you're not interested in doing things for a long time, or you have uncertainty about doing things for a long time, uh, short game would be your best Quickly. strategy to optimize yeah. utility uh, or whatever you you're, you're starting to measure. So uh, maybe that's like a more simple philosophy, but it's just this concept of playing the long game versus playing the short game. And I like saying, I like, I like getting rooted in things that are super, super simple, which is you play the long game and you plan on being in something for a long term. Yeah. Right? If you're not going to be in a long term, don't play the long game, play a short game, play a medium game, you know, hedge your budget, hedge your bets, uh, do some risk management, things like that. Um, but being it for a long game, that's, that's the only philosophy that I hold. Uh, it's a philosophy that we have at Paris painting and, and then larger in, in all holdings as well. Yeah. How that plays out practically, right. It's, uh, you know, probably the most basic way I can explain it would be is you're, you're focusing more on your balance sheet than your PL, right. And PL is important and you can't have a world-class organization without a strong PL. Uh, you know, one, it's the gas that, allows you to do cool things within your company. Uh, you know, it provides the, the margin for infrastructure and all that. Um, but making sure that you're properly stewarding that balance sheet is important as well. It's the classic, uh, you know, the golden chicken and the golden egg, right? And so you want to make sure you have a, a healthy tension in that, right? You never just want to focus 100% on that golden, maybe it's a golden goose. Maybe that's the, I don't know what it's called. No idea. Do, goose, do gooses lay eggs? Golden I'm goose. Let's call sure. it the golden I goose. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think they, they don't give live birth. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they lay eggs. Yeah. Did you know that some sharks lay eggs and some sharks give live? All right. That's a tangent. Uh, <laughs> this is what I was afraid of with this episode. This is what you're, all right. So gooses, like you never want to focus too much on the golden goose, right? And then forsake the golden eggs, right? You want to make sure that you're properly harvesting and stewarding those golden eggs. But you also never just want to focus on the egg harvest and neglect the goose. Right. So you have to have a healthy t- tension, a healthy balance on the both. For the long term, probably want to steer a little bit more towards stewarding that goose, right? Because it's a goose that's going to continue to produce those those profits, those eggs for a long time. And you know, the golden prize in these businesses is stable, passive income. And a lot of times someone will achieve one, but not both. Right. So uh, I don't know if you ever talked to a business owner, but they're like, uh, yeah, my, my, my profits are pretty stable, you know, pretty much every year we make, make this much money. Um, but it's certainly not passive, right? It's a lifestyle business, right? Yep. It's a classic lifestyle business. 
lifestyle businesses where you don't have to work very hard, but you make a lot of money. Uh, but if you stop showing up, it would crumble pretty fast, right? You'd stop, yeah. you stop getting money, right? So you have like this awesome job, which is great. It's a God bless America uh, scenario. Yeah. Their scenario is, you know, I have passive profits, but they're not very stable, right? It's like uh, your classic owner who steps out and, and there's like an individual or maybe a few individuals or a little team that's that are running things. And it's great for like two weeks, three months, six months, a year, two years. Uh, but it's not stable. It doesn't last forever. There's not inertia there. There's not momentum and you have passive income, you have passive profits, but they're not stable for the long term. So to be able to harvest, uh, both stable and passive, passive income, passive profits, um, that's really like the golden mark for a, for a painting business. So I, you know, as you know, my background in another life is in finance, investment banking and private equity. The old B&L, the old balance sheet. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm not a hundred percent sure what you mean. So if I'm not a hundred percent sure, probably other people. Sure. Aren't. So P&L would be like your, your capital investment in a painting company. Like, the, like trucks and things like, is that kind of For what sure. you're referring to things like that or. Good. So it's, I would say, so painting companies are not super capital intensive. Uh, so it's great yeah. that you clarify this because it gets to a point. You look at another elements of balance sheet as like brand uh, or, or culture, brand and culture, right? Those okay. are the two big balance sheet items. So you can squeeze out your brand equity <laughs> for the sake of short-term profits, right? You can squeeze and squeeze and, and, and get all the profits you want in 2023 to the detriment, to the lowering of your balance sheet, of your, of your company's brand, right? The way you do this is, um, you know, maybe just, maybe just cutting some staff and having a thinner layer of, of client so service. Customer service is kind of falling yep. through the cracks. Yep. Cuts falls through the cracks, but you're not okay. paying that overhead. So you're squeezing out some more profit. You your profit brand on. equity goes down, right? Culture would be the same thing. You know, you're driving people a little too hard, spraying them a little too thin. Uh, you're not making those deposits that pay off in the long term, right? So you're squeezing, you're squeezing. It's going, going good for this year's profit line. Uh, but over the next handful of years, that's going to hurt as that culture diminishes. Culture is a big asset that the company has. So it's basically what you're talking about is reinvesting back into your business through a team, through treating your team well, through making sure that the customer is well served versus pulling out the highest net profit possible, but maybe kind of leaving some pieces on the table there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, another element would be your labor in the past 10 years, right? The market is in the past 10 years. I tell you son, every episode past 10 years, I don't know why you'd ever like work the, with like company. the grandpa who like, the the walked uphill in the snow to school there and back kind of story. Well, the last 10 years have been great. So I was actually walking yeah. downhill uh, <laughs> because <laughs> you know, labor has been the real, the real nut to crack uh, for competing yeah. companies to scale yeah. and to thrive. And, you know, you can squeeze your labor and you can really, you know, hammer them down uh, for the, for the sake of this year's How profit. Loyalty. But, you know, what an asset it is to have when painters, subcontractors are continually knocking on your door saying, Hey, do you have work for me yet? Hey, my buddy's working for you. I'd love to work for you. What can we do to make this work? Uh, there's a lot of value there in the long term. Yeah. What do you, I, I don't want to go too far off, but with the labor market that has been a big pain point over the last couple of years, what do you, how do you feel about it now moving into 2023? I think the number one thing to focus on is professionalizing your business because why would, why would a painter or subcontractor want to work for 99% of these quote unquote business owners, their own painting companies? right? They're disorganized. There's no job description. There's no path to uh, career advancement. And uh, it's like the biggest complaint, but it's also the biggest issue. And I think the issue starts with the business owners. So I would just say that's like another, in my, in my mind, it comes to philosophy number one, which is blue ocean, where there is an unlimited stock of painters who are dissatisfied and frankly abused by their current uh, employers for us to pull from, right? Far beyond where I have to start concerning myself with the market cap of labor and be more constrained by our business's ability to scale, how well we can execute that model before I start to deal with there's not enough painters out there. Yeah. And that's such so a I, I would go back to that blue ocean mindset of you don't even have, it's kind of like with, with clients, like with clients, if you can answer your phone, show up, not insult them and deliver them a quote, you got a pretty good chance of, of landing that bid. Here in yeah. 2022, right? Same thing with labor. Like we all like to complain about labor, but 
if you can put an ad that isn't that isn't offensive to people, people can hear about your company in a way that inspires them. They show up and you have some semblance of organization and structure for them to thrive in. You've got a pretty good chance of recruiting that individual, right? Yeah. Yeah, I saw a Facebook ad that that said, "Don't show up drunk," and we'll hire you as a painter. And I was, you know, it's not going to probably attract the right kind of kind of painter you're looking for. I guess they won't show up drunk, so that's good. But it's it's a pretty crap ad. Yeah, there's no there's no good yeah there's no good painters out there, quote unquote. Uh, somehow, Sherwin Williams sells more and more paint every single year. More gallons get applied. There are plenty of painters out there. Uh, there are lots and lots of painters. And if you can run a you know some semblance of a professionalized company, they're going to want to work for you because 99% of companies are abusing their painters. And why wouldn't they want to jump ship? Yeah. Yeah, we don't have uh, Amazon drones painting houses quite yet. So that paint's being applied by somebody. All right. We have philosophy one, blue ocean slash growth mindset slash cooperation. Philosophy two is the long game. Invest into yeah. your business. Don't try to squeeze out all your profit margins. We're going to the golden goose. The, the golden, golden goose. goose. The gold, yeah, the golden egg, all that. What's philosophy three? Uh, I'd say open book management. So this is a way. Uh, you call it transparency. Probably just call it transparency. Right? So it seems like you're taking. It seems like you're taking notes. So uh, I'm always taking I, notes, man. Yeah, <laughs> learning. I'm learning. I hope everyone who's listening to this is taking notes. I'm sure. It should it, be. Uh, well, they're most of them are driving or out and about, but they should they should sit down and take some notes on this stuff. Yep. But I would say transparency, open book management. It's the way that we operate our companies. Uh, it's a it's another foundational cornerstone philosophy of business, and so there's a couple of of concepts in there. Uh, Practically with open book management, what that looks like is we're very transparent how the company makes money and how people are compensated in their roles, right? So there's an overall business model, an org chart, a budget, financial systems in place, right? We'd say, you know, here's an easy example, sales and marketing. Here's your budget that fits within the percentage of the business model that works. How you make money within that percentage is up to you. Right. And uh, it, it, it opens up a couple of fun conversations, which are uh, we've had people come and say, you know, how can I, I like a raise. I'd like a raise. Yeah. Right? I don't know if anybody, any business owner has ever heard that before. Uh, I'd like a yeah. raise. The response is yeah. always like, that's fantastic. Tell me how that works. Right? You know, the business model, you know, the metrics, you know, the KPIs, you know, uh, the cost on margin. It's how much most of our roles are compensated. Uh, seems like you want to raise. That's awesome. Tell me how that's going to work. How yeah, much money do you want to make? If they don't it's, know it's never like, I'm never going to tell you no. I'm yeah. never going to tell you no. The answer is always, how can we? Yeah. Right. How, how can we make, how can you make $200,000 next year as a sales rep at Paris Painting? Mm. You tell me, right? Yeah. So it seems like you're going to do this many bids. You're going to have this level or this, this uh, size, average job size. Right, your skills can be developed to this level where you sell that percentage of jobs. You know, you're going to generate, you know, this these many bids on your own. So, in the business saves on that marketing cost, we'll give that to you, right? Whether we pay uh, Google, we don't use Google. Plus, whether we pay a, a marketing service, I don't want to. We use any marketing, any marketing service that could be out there, uh, or we pay that employee to self-generate that lead. Doesn't matter to me, right? So then we start saying like, okay, here's how that would work. Here's how it does work. It's never no. It's always how can we. So that's open book management style. I'd also say like this transparency thing. That's like a practical use. Transparency is really easy when you don't have secrets to hide. Yep. Right. When you have secrets where you're trying to hide things, it's really really hard. Uh, so this is like like a philosophy of business from from day one. So we hired uh, his name is Hoken. He's our first sales rep that was not. Uh, had not run a painting company before, right? So I'd run, run, I've been running my painting company. Uh, I had quote unquote bought painting companies before, which is really buying their book of business, uh, their equipment, and then having them come on as staff and had them do sales. So it was always like highly intuition focused. Uh, but Hogan came over and he's like, what if somebody asked me a question I don't know? I'd say, shoot, you know what I would do? I'd be honest with them. <laughs> be honest with them and say, you know what? I don't know that answer. I actually have never painted a house before. Uh, what I do know is how to bid your house. And I don't, I don't know this technical question, but I can find out the answer and get back to you. Just be honest, right? 
we have nothing to hide, right? I'm not like trying to like, uh, you know, hide, hide, hide the weenie and say, uh, hey, Hoken has never painted a house before. My goodness, don't tell anybody that. No, yeah. I don't care. He's, a, he's gonna, he's gonna be a world-class salesperson. He's gonna find the client's needs, identify the scope, present an, an appropriate solution to it, and then have the emotional intelligence to close the job. Right? He's gonna do it all in an organized way so we can deliver a world-class product at the end. And homeowners will appreciate that. If anything, it'll it'll bode in your favor. Yeah. Now, sure. Like again, people can message me their mean emails after I do these podcasts and say, "Well, what about you know the commercial industrial?" Does this happen? Does this happen? Because you filmed a couple of podcasts with us. Do you get mean emails? Only on yours. Only on yours. Cool. Awesome. Good to know. Makes you feel good. Uh, Sure. Specialty scenarios, but in general, I just say be honest with people. Just be honest. If someone says like, "Oh," You know, why didn't you get back to my email? Say, you know, I'll be honest. I pieced out for three days and uh, turned my phone off. It's something I do every year. It's kind of like a silent retreat meditation. And, you know, I had a lot of emails and I didn't get to yours. I'll get to it yep. the next day. Right. Don't be like, oh, shoot, they're going to find out I'm a fraud. I think that. So I talked about the insecurity early on. Like there's a deep, deep root of insecurity in this industry that's rooted around, I think, like they're going to find out I'm a fraud. And part of that is just the, the origin story of most small business owners in residential painting. You know, they, they come, the, there's two origin stories. One is uh, my dad did it and I took over the company or I yeah. painted with him for a while and started my own company. The second origin story is very similar but the second part of that first one, which is, so I worked for a guy and it was not great. Yeah. That's, that's like the most common story in the industry. I worked for a guy and it wasn't that great. Most companies are not great to work for which gets me back to the blue ocean concept on labor, right? So they end up starting their own company, but that doesn't go, they're like, I'm a fraud. I don't know everything about business. I actually don't know everything about painting, but I know this is better than what I was doing. Now I have all this insecurity, some build these walls, get combative with other painting contractors in the store. Jason walks in all hunky-dory, happy, happy, and starts uh, trying to talk to people and immediately gets like people like fighting him and like being mean to him. And uh, I'm like, geez, this is weird. This is weird. Right, because it's weird for the market condition of residential repaint. You think there'd be a lot more cooperation, uh, but then you start to like get into the industry a little bit more, really find out the roots of the origins, and like make a hypothesis on the psyche. And there's just a lot of people are going to find out I'm a fraud fear uh, that drives that behavior. So let's say someone listening to this feels that way. Let's say they they feel scared that's fine fraud. if you're How a fraud. What do they do? So I would just like I rem- you don't have to just just be honest. I mean, what you are is good enough. Okay. What you are is good enough. And I say like early on, I worked with a handful of general contractors and uh, they'd be like, yeah, I'm going to need you to, uh, you know, paint that sconce over there. I'd be like, okay, just what is a sconce? And, and so, so it's like, just, just what is a sconce? I don't know what that is. I don't know what a sconce is. Uh, I painted in college, started my own painting company. We do a great job, but I don't know what a sconce is. What does that word mean? Right. Now, a lot of people would be like, okay, sconce. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And then they get back home and they're like, what is a sconce? And like, oh, frick, I should ask this question about what color it should be. Right. Cause now I figure out it's a sconce. I'm like, okay, just, do you want that to be the same color as the wall or a different color? Yeah. And, Cause that's going to make a difference in how I bid this. Right? You can identify quickly, but what you are is good enough. That's what I found for myself. I was like, Hey, I don't, GCs would ask me these questions all the time. They'd be like, I have no idea. Uh, or they'd start talking to me about a project and be like, what does that mean? Yeah. And a lot of times they don't know. <laughs> They're just like saying stuff. So, what is a sconce? I think it's that thing. <laughs> I said it because it's a weird thing. I think it's the thing that's behind the light. Uh, when the light's on the wall, I think that's what it is. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to Google it because I actually don't. know. It is. It is. I think it's like that thing. It's. It's definitely the thing. Okay, so it's the thing behind the light. If it's a thing, then I'm right. It's, oh, one those, it's one of these things. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just go ahead and paint that sconce. No worries. If someone like if your painter comes up to you and says like, Hey, you know, can you, can you lay out my schedule for the next three weeks? If you're trying to hide it, then that's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Or you could say like, Hey, I don't actually know. I have your next Please week watch. booked out after that. Like I'm flying by a seat of my pants, man. I'll be honest with you. Like I'm scaling this company. Uh, we're like, I'm, I'm burning the midnight oil. I'm doing the best I can. You know, I've got a good track record of surviving. Uh, so we'll figure it out. Yeah. Right? It just, that is better than people. People can read through you pretty quick 
when, yeah. you can you can get along a little you can get along a little bit like trying to be you know do do around people uh but people sniff that out pretty quick i think you just get more respect when you're honest with people yeah just say this is what i am this is what i can do no i don't know what you're talking about uh no i don't know the answer to this uh i'm actually bad at that like people people are that's what you want in life too. Like you want to be uh, appreciated for the things that you actually can do and are good at. Yeah. yeah those, that, those are a couple examples, you know, homeowners questioning Hoken on like, you know, Hey, what, what would you do? Well, I don't know. I can't even think of a question. And then he, he called me. I'd be like, just be honest with them. Tell them you don't know. And like, well, what if they like hammer really like, how don't you know this? Say like, just tell them that you were fi- that you're a financial analyst yeah. and you just quit your job and you start working with a painting company because you saw the, the future and what was going to happen here. And you're excited about it. And yeah, you don't know a ton about painting, but you do know how to get customers' needs, accurate scope, identify the right solution, given the basic knowledge that you have. If you don't know the answer, you have great resources around you. But just tell them that. Yeah, people value transparency. And it's refreshing because it's unusual. So when you're transparent, they trust you more. And they're even even if it weren't ideal, oftentimes it's actually bodes in your favor because you're so open about it. And it's easy to do when you're not trying to hide things. Right. Yeah. I think people hide a lot of stuff because of that root of insecurity and it's just be okay with who you are. Be okay with your level of competency. Uh, likely it's more than enough uh, for this, for this market. Yeah. Okay. So the philosophy three is transparency. What is philosophy four? We call it democratizing versus dictating, right? Or democracy versus dictator. So this is not like a political debate around uh, structures because there's no debate dictatorship is actually the best model. Uh, you know, if you have Marcus Aurelius as like the dictator, uh, like the one guy leading everything, it's phenomenal. It's the best, like that's going to out outperform democracy any day of the week. Right. The problem is that that's not sustainable in the long term, Right. So then you get Nero and then things go pretty bad. Right. So if you have Marcus Aurelius, this is great. Everybody's happy. You know, the kingdom is phenomenal performing. Well, high risk, high reward scenario here. Yeah. It's the most effective. It's how most, it's how every painting company starts. Yeah. I say most, but I can practically say every, and, and people, even if they want to email me something mean, I can say it'll be fine. Right. Democracy is much more stable in the long term. Right. America is, I mean, just like, yeah, I may get so many emails. Democracy. Hey, everyone listening, don't stop emailing Jason mean things. Stop emailing me. Stop emailing mean things. Cuss words. These, are, these are his. His viewpoints, you don't have to agree with them. You can cuss at me. Stop, I can handle it. Stop sending me stuff. No more. <laughs> Just kidding. People don't send me that much. Oh. But everyone, it's the ones that you do get that you're like, then you try and respond to them and you realize that there's not a high level of reading comprehension there. And yeah. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a social media you know, war. Like it's just best not to get involved. So anyways, democracy is much more stable over the long term. America has proven that out through you know, much longer stability, staying on top. Um, but dictatorships are much more effective. You know, then you start to get into business philosophies of when is it appropriate to have a dictator and when is it ha- appropriate to have uh, democratize, whether it's a democracy or you say democratize the decision-making, right? Okay. Or even all the way to the point of, you know, democratizing the equity of a painting company. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a, this one, there's not like an easy answer for, right? Because in the startup, it's much better to have a dictatorship you know, as long as you can have high performing key individuals in place, you know, I, I prefer dictatorships in general. Um, I'd rather be faster under Marcus Aurelius than, uh, than whatever we have going on in the U S right now. Right. But when Marcus Aurelius goes away, you know, now it's like you said, you said it really well, high risk, high reward. So a lot of painting business owners start thinking throws through those decision metrics. You know, how long are you going to be active and driving and leading that painting company? Uh, the default is every day of their life, right? But they're not typically businesses. Uh, they're typically, you know, great jobs, self-employed painting contractors, maybe a self-employed sales rep, maybe a self-employed president. Um, but that dictatorship eventually ends. And then if you've got that same structure that's going to continue, you know, there's a risk and reward structure. Risk, there's high risk, high reward, but who steps in that seat next? Um, yeah. versus democratizing the decision making, democratizing the leadership you know, all the way to democratizing the equity of the painting company makes it much more stable over the long run. Yeah. It's kind of another way I think of looking at, you know, Nick has that 
I think it's weird because I've never heard of a, a turkey truck, but he's got that weird turkey truck, you know, tax. Hey, once again, where do you think you learned that from? I'll just tell you. So I give back. Was it from you? Actually, for sure. hundred percent. What is a. No, I didn't make that up. It's a very, very common phrase. Uh, but once I told him it, he started saying a lot. So Nick like is an Minnesota awesome guy, thing or something? We're giving him a hard time. We're giving Nick a hard time. Nick is a yeah. world-class individual. Uh, he, the way that he approached getting off of the island of his painting company set his path on the, on the amount of life success that he's had since that moment, right? Most people who have been grinding, you know, grew up in the family business, grinding on their own for 10 years, you know, finally find out what professional painting businesses look like by getting off the island, mm -hmm. uh, get pretty bitter pretty fast, right? Pretty defensive, pretty bitter, pretty angry. Uh, he chose, well, why is that? Because they've been doing it the other way for so long. There's a lot of trauma and pain to like, I mean, Nick has spoken openly about this. He's like, yeah, I wasted like 10 years and that opportunity cost. Yeah. It's I'll painful. Never get over. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah. How you approach trauma, you know, we go deep into that rabbit trail as well, but I just wanted, I give Nick a hard time cause it's fun. Uh, cause he's like a, a big face in the industry. Uh, but he's a really, really great guy, strong individual, yeah. phenomenal character. Uh, but I did teach him everything he knows. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Turkey um, truck test is, you know, if yeah. the person running the show gets hit by the turkey truck, you know, what happens to the shareholders of that business? So it's like, do your wife and kids keep getting little uh, distribution checks every quarter or does that business go away right away? So yeah. there's not a right or wrong, right? The lifestyle businesses are the default in this industry and those can be phenomenal, right? It's kind of like the dentist who runs his own practice, Right. It's like, God bless America. This is awesome, right? Yeah. You can make big, big, you can make more money than a cardiac surgeon being a, a lifestyle business in the painting industry, right? It's great. Uh, it's like a little too good right now. And I don't think it'll last that way forever. I think it will get a lot more competitive and more professionalized. We talked about that on previous episodes. Yeah. Um, but there is this like new paradigm that I've been trying to introduce. And I think people are starting to catch on to it. Like you can have, you can also build a business that's going to deliver stable passive income for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. That's also an option. Right. And, and, and it's like that awareness is step one. Right. So like, this is an option. Okay. Painting companies is what it can look like. Uh, you know, getting off the Island, seeing what's out there, uh, getting exposed to like bananas and things like that. Um, <laughs> it's all good for, for the human psyche. Yeah. So, no, it's all, I wouldn't say human psyche. It's all good for, uh, for personal actualization. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the one thing that kind of stood out to me regarding the turkey truck test is I always view that as systems and processes, you know, you, your owner operator, if they're doing everything and no one, no one can fill in, then they get hit by the turkey truck. Everything's going to fall apart. But one thing that just stood out to me with this is it's also the decision-making, the culture, the kind of the leadership of it, not just the systems and processes. If other people are involved because market conditions sometimes change, you know, scenarios sometimes change. And if they're involved, then, then that can continue to run even when when things shift. Whereas if it's a dictatorship, the moment a curveball comes, no one's going to have any idea what to do. This is how businesses work in in general, right? This is how like companies grow and sustain like over long periods of time. Uh, th this is not how painting companies are run, right? But it's how like you go to the Fortune 500 list, any any major like this is how business, this is business. works. This is how business, this is called like business, right? And uh, business is a pretty foreign concept in the painting industry. Won't say that way forever. Listen to previous episodes, please. Also, <laughs> don't email me mean things and saying that I don't understand. Uh, there's a lot of great painting companies out there. I agree. You are definitely one of them. So you don't need to email me about that. Um, but in general, it's not like we're like in a pretty niche space. And it's it's just like a weird period of time where, the modus operandi has been, you know, lifestyle business. And that's yeah. great. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but it shouldn't be the proliferation that it is in the market, right? That's like an odd thing. Um, there's definitely more incentive than that. And that that hasn't clicked yet, hasn't switched over. Um, we've talked about a little bit in previous episodes, but that, that certainly seems like it's, the conditions are laid for that to change. Yeah. You listening, you're the best painting company. So be happy. Um, yeah. And we're going to have, you're not a fraud. You're fine. You're not a fraud. You're doing great. And we're going to have right. Jason, Jason, you're going to come live in the Facebook group. Cause I'm going to try to pull yeah. out some of these haters 
We're gonna we're gonna. Dude, try I love the haters, them. man. We're gonna bait them, and we're gonna get them to leave something, and then we're gonna definitely bait them. Then I'm yeah. I'm suspending them. So the time start to you don't have to just just give them my personal cell number and they can call me. Yeah, goes right to voicemail anyways. My phone doesn't ring unless you're in my contacts. Um, philosophy number five: the hard way is the real way. Uh, this is just a philosophy of like, if you want to achieve something worthwhile, it takes work, right? Uh, the most fun part of running a business is usually this time of year, um, because you get to put your plans on the whiteboard and they look awesome and you're high-fiving each other for how much money you're going to make next year. And, uh, it's super fun, but the reality, yeah, (laughs) the reality is like, that's called uninformed optimism. Uh, that's the ivory tower. And if you want to achieve results, you got to get out of the ivory tower. You got to get into uh, the ground, the mud, and you got to plow the fields. The road. Yep, you got to plow the fields, right? And yep. hard work is the real work. Um, I don't know how, how else to say it. It's just it's this concept of if you want to really integrate uh, culture, values, performance into a company, uh, you got to go shoulder to shoulder. You got to bear that yoke uh, with those around you and you got to plow the, plow the fields. Yeah. There's no shortcut to that. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I think, you know, with, with marketing, with my industry in particular, there's, there's so much hype. There's so much, you know, everyone's always doing great, right? Everyone's doing great. This new things work, works the best thing ever. Uh, and I think it's, it's frustrating to me to see, because I know it's not true, right? It's always, uh, it, they, everyone tries to make it look really easy, right? The easy, there is no easy button. You have to be good at what you do and you have to put in work to make it work, right? That's the long-term success. There's someone I listen to who I like a lot. I'm sure you you listen, probably listen to Alex Ramosi. He runs a podcast. Um, he's he's very successful, coaches people, built, built a lot of really successful business. But Alex Ramosi um, says that people as a whole tend to grossly underestimate the amount of work it takes to become massively successful. And you've talked about this, you know, the entrepreneur, the business owner, you have to have a high tolerance for pain for a pretty mm-hmm. extended period of time if you're going to really create something magnificent. And so this, and a passion that will push you beyond rational thought, right? Yeah. Because it's uh, a lot of times and it's not every scenario. So don't email me, please. Dude, you are uh, you are hung up on these emails. You're saying, it's, you're saying it's not happening, but I know it's happening. I'm like, I'm actually speaking it to existence, unfortunately. Um, you are, Now you are. Yeah, you're going to get tons of them. So it also requires quite a bit of passion because it's a tremendous amount of, of pain, uh, uh, non-optimistic reality staring you in the face. Uh, with no guaranteed outcome, right? So you're not guaranteed to be successful just because you put in the work. Nobody is there yeah. like, wow, he's working hard. This is great. Uh, this is not like a law firm where you get to like clock your hours. Your partner eventually. You work really hard. It's like, okay, like he's putting his dues. Like we get, we'll pay him more per every hour he works. He's going to make more money. This is great. Yeah. You can yeah. work really, really hard as an entrepreneur and you can hit a hit with a curveball, and you can actually lose money. Yep. Not just make money, not just not make much money, not make no money, but lose money, right? That's how business works. And uh, you have to have like an irrational passion, I believe, uh, yep. is why we look, I don't know, I, when I, someone says they're entrepreneurial, it's like, where's that irrational panch, passion? Uh, because you're not guaranteed a result. It's going to be super painful. And there's not, there'll be times where there's just not a lot of optimism in front of you. Yeah, yeah it'll be dark. Like you said, uh, you're, you're chewing glass or staring off into the dark abyss. That's entrepreneurship. I want to push back on you a little bit, Jason, uh, a little bit on this. So there's a quote that that I like that I live by. I agree with you in a lot of ways, but I also want to, I want to push back for anyone listening. Uh, the only way you fail is if you quit. That's, that's what I live by. And I think you hit these curveballs, right? You can have a business, you can have a painting company and something happens, you know, so you get sued, whatever occurs and you actually could lose that business. You could lose money. You could get to the point where you're, you're bankrupt right? This happens to people. You have to go get a job. But if you want to, to own a business and I want to, I want to caveat this and you're willing to, to um, implement self-growth. So you're willing to learn from people who have done it before. You're willing to do whatever you need to do to learn, not just keep beating your head against the wall. Cause that, that is a way to fail forever. You're willing to learn and adapt. Eventually you will succeed. I, I sincerely believe that, but it's probably yeah. going to, to take longer than you want it to. And you're going to enter darker times than, than you wish that you were in. Yeah. There's like macro failure and micro failure. And 
And what is failing, right? Do you ever actually fail if you don't quit? Silicon like, Valley loves when you fail, man. You're supposed to fail like 50 times. Then you're no, winning, supposedly. So I don't, yeah, there's there's bankruptcy laws written in uh, the US um, that encourage encourage us taking risks and and swinging big and, and all those things. Um, yeah, we're, we have a, a bit uh, more padding than in a lot of places. A more padding. Yep, a little more padding. Now, it's not like a get out of jail free card. Uh, there are real consequences to that. And uh, yeah, to your point, if you spend three, five years building a company, uh, you know, sacrificing a lot and don't make any money, you know, is that a failure? Yes, no, depends. Depends on your yeah. reaction to it, right? Over the long term. Micro failure, I would say, yeah, it was a, that's a big fail. Uh, yeah. But macro, can you can you overcome that? You know, can you take that as a learning point and not quit? You know, you are not a failure. That business endeavor did fail, right? Yeah. That business endeavor failed, but you're not going to fail long-term. You are not a failure. Uh, you can still be a success. And what is success, right? What is failure? We're all on this earth temporarily. You know? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This limited sphere of influence and- Putting on my seatbelt. Now, if we learn anything from the ancient Egyptians, yeah. um, it's that cats- uh, pictures rule the internet. They do. Yeah. I have a, well, here we go. I have a, an app called cat facts, uh, okay. noise of crap out of people. You can just hit it. And, and if I want to send, I have a circle of friends that I'm in a text chat with and I'll just send them like six facts about cats, the most random things in the world. Um, but if anyone wants to, okay, we got one more, we got one more before the listeners all number six. Off. I don't know if you have Yes. Wasn't that yep. number five? Okay. Number All right. five was hard ways, the real way. All right. What's uh, six? Number six is there's always a choice. Okay. This is a philosophy. There's always a choice. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example that's upbeat, <laughs> but maybe let's think of one where it's like, uh, you know, we can't fire that person because of X, Y, Z. It's like, well, you can fire that person and then you deal with X, Y, Z. You do have a choice. You can do that. Uh, or you could say like, oh, we can't paint that person's house a second time because they don't like the color and whatever. You know, then we won't make any money. It's like, well, you can paint that person's house for free and not make any money. Yeah. That's an option. Um, Trying to think of some better ones. It might be like- uh, You can use the one that we discussed before this. Yeah, it might be like, hey, you know, I, I had this midlife crisis and- uh, <laughs> And I, I started a marketing painting company and I signed up for the army and uh, okay, I just hold got on. my back, back, back up. There's no midlife crisis. So we'll okay. restart. We Before never life crisis. Gonna live a no very midlife crisis. Healthy life. Now, no, these are life choices. You that do cold pubs, not so midlife. That's good for longevity, I think. Plus, uh, dude, I'm, I'm a spring chicken. Are you kidding? 37, I'm just getting started. But continue. So this is actually, okay. So you go into uh, the book of Genesis, you know, there's a lot of debate around the, what age is it? It's like 134. Now I would say that was more descriptive than prescriptive. Uh, I don't think there actually is that limit, but these are things that my wife and I debate on. So yeah, you could say quarter life crisis. I'm not sure if it's biblical or not, but we can roll with it. And uh, anyways, you get the schedule for the army. It says, okay, shoot. I've got my drills, you know, during uh, the Thursday, Friday of Expo PCA. National Guard, National Guard. National Guard. I can't, I can't. Looks like I can't go to Expo, right? Because if I skip those drills, they put me in jail, right? Because I'm government property during that period of time. It's like, well, you can. You can skip those drills, go to PCA Expo, and then we'll all pray for you and your family while they don't see dad. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So this was this was a real, real decision on my mind. Real decision. Uh, I think you made the right call. You know, PCA Expo happens only once a year. It only and, once uh, a year. It's out on that. Very big industry event. Momentum. Yep. Yeah. Lose momentum. Don't get to connect with, with all the painting company owners, with the other, with the other industry vendors and partners. Yeah. Um, and yeah, made my exactly. decision, but ultimately was able to get that worked out and do not have to go to jail. But it was a point where most people, if they were staring at that and they think, oh man, the, you know, there's a chance I get put into jail. Oh, I don't have a choice. Well, you always have a choice. Just what yeah. are you, what are you willing to, what consequences now, are you willing to endure? Yeah. You want to weigh out those pros and cons and, and make the appropriate decision. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of head trash on like, oh, I couldn't possibly deal with the pain of this decision or this result. Yeah. And it's like, well, is that worse or better than the pain of not doing that? Sure. So I think uh, yeah. another example, like I was talking to a 
a drywall painter or a drywall contractor. This was like four or five years ago. And he's like, yeah, I can't possibly bring, you know, people in houses W2 is cause I, you know, the workers comp would be so high. Hmm. I'm like, well, what's the benefit? Does it, does the does the, does the benefit outweigh the cost? Right? You're telling me you're spending all this money on issues with 1099s. How much does that cost you? Mm-hmm. How much would it cost you to do W2 payroll taxes and everything? Right. And could you charge more to your clients with, with the certainty that comes with the control of yeah. W2? What else could you change? And all that stuff. And I'm just like, I believe you, but just tell me if it's real. Like, did you actually think through this or do you just have emotional trauma over the cost of something? Right. So a lot of people, a lot of times people get loss aversion or emotional trauma around the cost, right? Firing somebody, uh, you know, giving something away that's unjust, you know, dealing with an injustice, all those things. Um, that cost is real, but does the benefit outweigh it? And that's something that there's always a choice in business, in life. Uh, there's always a choice and don't forget the benefit. Don't forget to do the full analysis of weighing things out. You have, you have a choice. You yeah. get to make that decision. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about entrepreneurship, you know, and about business ownership. It, it puts you in the driver's seat and you ultimately get to make your life decisions. Yep. Yep. Yeah. A lot of it's, uh, that first principles reasoning approach of like, what is true? What's actually real? You know, do I have preconceived parameters that I'm operating in? And what if I took those down, would I still come to the same result? Um, going through that decision matrix, the quicker you can, the quicker you can start, just start with cluelessness as you approach a scenario. If you can do that like fast, it's not too weird. If you get lost in that for a little while, people lose faith and trust in your cognitive abilities. Uh, so sometimes those parameters that we operate in are useful yeah. for external expectations. If you can do it quick or do it in private, it's a good model to go through um, to just be entrepreneurial, be a little creative. Ditch right? those preconceived notions and and fear reactions. Yep. Elon Musk is probably, you know, the most uh, popular first principle reasoning uh, promoter of, of recent time. And, you know, probably his, I don't know what would be his biggest success. Uh, don't stop, stop, stop emailing me. They hate, they're emailing me right now. I can, I can feel it. So I'm e- saying the e- Elon Musk, you're, yeah, he's, he's, a- I would just say that the number one thing is how he's approached rockets, right? And so traditionally rockets are very, very expensive. It's expensive to get payload up into space because you build this super expensive rocket, bring it up into space, and that's going to crash into the ground. And uh, that costs a lot of money, right? To get payload up there. Um, it's like, well, that's odd. I mean, no wonder it's expensive. Can you imagine if everyone got into an airplane? We all got into, you know, Delta, Delta airplane, got into aisle, you know, 7G or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, we flew over to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Pilot said, all right, everybody, uh, put your backpacks on. We're going to have you all jump out of the plane. And then I'm going to we're, we're crash the plane into the crash pit, <laughs> right? Imagine how expensive that would be if they crashed the plane every single time. You bought a ticket, basically paid for the construction of that plane. And uh, every single time or, or every time we drove to the office, we like opened the door, rolled out and just crashed it into the crash wall. Yeah. Right. Just like this, well, there's walls at every single building where you crash them. Like, yeah, it's really, really expensive to drive everywhere. You had to pay for the construction of the vehicle every time, or at least the maintenance and repairs or the reconstruction. So, yeah. Um, anyways, first principle there, you always have a choice. So, blue ocean philosophy. Blue ocean one. Um, transparency. No, no, long no, plan. Long, long game, game is number two. Long game. Uh, transparency, I'm pretty transparency sure. Transparency is number three. Democratize versus dictate. Is democracy versus dictator. Aurelius, Nero, America. Five, hard way is the real way. Get out of the ivory tower, get in the mud, plow the field. Put in that work. And then number six, six, there's always a choice. Always a choice. Brandon, you should go to jail if you have to. Do whatever I have to, man. Do whatever I have to. Yeah. Thank, uh, do you, is there anything else you want to add? Anything exceptionally weird? Because this is our weird one. Um, I, I think I'm a pretty normal person. I don't think I have anything too weird. I thought yeah. that. Oh, this, here's I something that I've been thinking about. Okay, here's something. Yeah. We had a little, we had a little Christmas party uh, earlier this week, and we went bowling. Classic painters bowling. Uh, and uh, <laughs> society has like this irrational 
expectation for what is a good bowling game. Okay. And what is a good bowling game? Right? Okay. I would say 80 is great. If you I told think 80 me is pretty bad. If you're under a hundred, you're you're awful. There are 10 pins a hundred feet away from me. I've got this ball. Spare strike. I don't do, I also I don't do this every day. And you're telling me that on average I get eight of the ten pins to fall down. That's not that's good. That's not bad. That's good. Also, you there's the option of getting a zero because that you don't have that much leeway till it goes into this like zero area. Well, I always play with the bumpers. I, I don't do that. <laughs> Without the bumpers, 80 is a good score. I don't care what people say. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the fashion industry or the beauty industry. There's like this unrealistic ex- expectation for women that they have to like put products on their face to be presentable. Uh, in bowling, 80 is a good score. You average eight out of 10 pins down. That is fine. Society has unrealistic ex- unrealistic expectations for bowling. And I'm going to stand by that. So everyone here, if, you, if you're bowling somewhere near an 80, you're doing excellent. Just, just think about it. Eight out of 10 on average, this, these pins are a hundred feet away, maybe multiple hundred feet away. I haven't measured it. You have a ball and just also remember you don't do this every day. I like you'd bowl like once every couple of years, maybe you have to throw it. And, and if it goes too much to the side, one way or the other, you get a zero and somehow you still manage to get eight out of 10 pins down on average over 10, whatever they're called scores. Uh, I said, I said the word frames. Frame, uh, over 10 frames. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick by that. I'm going to stand by that. I think society's wrong and just applying first principles reasoning. I think we should reevaluate, you know, what the message that we're telling people who bowl like myself. Well, I appreciate that. I'll feel better about myself next time I go bowling now. Sounds good, man. All right. This is it, man. Wrap up the series. Painters. Series train. Four. Thank you. Yep. This is it. Thank you, Jason, for, for you're the first one. You're the first one of season three. Uh, you're the first series. Hopefully people got a lot out of this and appreciate you, man. Appreciate what you do for the industry and uh, bringing, bringing facts and logic uh, to everyone. One gallon at a time. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.